Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Hi, I'm Jerry Nunn, and I'm going to be reading the scripture from Psalm 51, 1 through 17 today. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely, clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you're justified when you render your verdict, completely correct when you issue your judgment. Yes, I was born in guilt and sin from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take away your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. Deliver me from violence, God, God of my salvation, so that my tongue can sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will, pro- will proclaim your praise. You don't want sacrifices. If I gave an entirely burned offering, you wouldn't be pleased. A broken spirit is my sacrifice, God. You won't despise a heart, God, that is broken and crushed. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Hey, y'all. Good morning. How are you? Uh, My name is Brittany. And first of all, I want to thank Amanda for her testimony. I I have to say that while I was on renewal leave uh, for most of June, I... Uh, went to a retreat up at uh, the Siena Center in Racine, Wisconsin, and it was called the art, an art journaling retreat. And, and what she has done as a spiritual practice was exactly what I learned how to do um, as a practice of contemplation of prayer. And so how amazing that you like already knew how to do it and I had to learn how to do it, right? That's great. Uh, let us begin with prayer. Holy and gracious God, for the gift of this day, that gives us an opportunity to live anew, that reminds us that we are a new creation, that wipes the slates clean and lets us start today to do something new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, earlier this week, I was visiting with uh, one of Ruby's little friend's mother, and we were talking about our kids and, you know, how parents do. And uh, she has two daughters, a three-year-old and an almost, almost three-year-old and almost five-year-old. And she was talking to me about how different the two children are. Uh, her oldest is a rule follower. She, like, if you tell her to do something, she does it immediately because she does not want to, you know, disobey. 
her youngest likes to find out where the line is and then cross it, right? Um, Hazel, though, she's, she's a curious kid. I don't think she's trying to be malicious. I think she, um, she, instead of being told about something, she wants to investigate it, right? She wants to learn through doing. And so uh, that means that discipline and that the ways that uh, my friend Sharon responds to her kids is different. One day Sharon, er, Sharon was telling me about how last week Hazel uh, found some scissors and she cut a big hole in her dress. Uh, this has happened to me, too, with Ruby, by the way. I think it might just be a rite of passage. <laughs> um, Hazel looked down at her dress, and then she looked up at her mom in horror. And her mom said, oh, Hazel. And she couldn't even finish the sentence because Hazel yelled out, I ruined my dress! And she fell into Sharon's arms and started sobbing. And when she had finally calmed down, Sharon said, you know what, you made a mistake, and that's okay. Um, everybody makes mistakes. And then Sharon told her about how she had recently left a plastic bowl too close to the burner, and it melted. <laughs> and Hazel was comforted by this. She was comforted by her mother's love and compassion and her, her forgiveness, and soon she was on her way to wreak havoc somewhere else. This week, as I started reflecting on uh, our topic for the week, which is confession of our sins to God, this story kept playing over and over in my mind, and I think it's because this is the very thing that happens when we make a mistake and we confess that mistake to God. We are received with open arms, ready to forgive us and set us free for the journey and uh, transformed by that very encounter. Now, we're going to talk um, a little bit more about that today, but before we do, I think maybe I've only used the word mistake, but if I haven't, um, I've also used the word sin, and uh, that word, that S word, is kind of triggering for people sometimes. Anybody triggered by it a little bit? Oh, wow, there's nobody triggered by sin? I can just go home then. So I want to, uh, if you were not here last week, I want to just unpack that word briefly, and those that were here last week, you're going to help. We'll see if you remember what happened. Uh, so sin is a word that has been described, um, has described a multitude of things from like sinfully delicious chocolate cake to it is a sin to dance and play cards, right? Um, and, and so that behavior must be stopped. But let's, let's define what sin is. So first off, um, in Hebrew, the most common way that we, we see the word sin is, is a word that means to miss the... Oh, you guys were paying attention last week. That's awesome. Um, another great way, though, that we talked about sin um, last week is the human propensity to... Yes. Okay. Um, so sin is... That time in life when we know what we should do and we do the opposite. Or when we don't know what we should do and we do something wrong and then we kind of realize it, right? Oh, that was not good. So that is sin. We're all affected by sin. Um, and it's not because we're wretched human beings that are awful from the beginning of time. It's because it's just what it means to be human. We will sin. And in fact, that difference between our behavior 
where we think we should be and where we actually are, that whole space is an invitation to relax into God's grace, right? To sin boldly, as Martin Luther said, because then we know that we will be forgiven boldly. Um, so this um, <clears throat> ability to rest in God's grace happens because we've confessed to ourselves um, and then we can be, on, uh, because we've taken, we talked about a moral and honest inventory of who we are, right? Um, and when we do this, we can see that gap, and then we automatically turn and confess to God. You see how that works? We're honest with ourselves, and then we turn and we confess to God. We do that because we're people of faith. We do that, we talked a little bit about the 12 steps last week. Uh, we're kind of breaking up uh, step five, but step five is to, to confess to, our, uh, to God and to another person. And so we're, we're kind of talking about God this week. We're going to talk about other people next week. Um, and so this is the very place where we um, find the psalm for today. It is a confession to God. The inscription says it is the psalm of David that um, after the prophet Nathan came to him um, after he had been with Bathsheba. So I want to give you just a brief background of what that actually means in case you're new to Christianity or you've been away for a long time and need a little brush up of what this story is. Um, so here's a background on David. He grew up as a poor shepherd boy. Um, and do you remember that story of Davy and Goliath? Right? So this is David. He's the small little runt, youngest child. And his brothers are all going off to war. And he wants to go, but he's told he's too little. So what does he do? He sneaks off anyway. And he takes a slingshot and he, and he hits the giant Goliath and kills him, right? And he becomes this big, big, exciting warrior hero. So this is the same David. This is the same David. So uh, David now, um, he is anointed. Um, he is chosen, despite having these older and bigger brothers, he is chosen um, by God herself to be anointed as the king of Israel. God chooses him um, and he ends up, uh, you, you can read all about it in, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, but he ends up um, surviving all kinds of harm intended toward him. Um, and, he and he ends up living into this title of a mighty king. Now, as you can imagine, when God himself chooses you to be the king of Israel and you are anointed, that might go a little bit to your head. Yes? And you might start to think that you are invincible, right? Or you might start to think that um, you can do anything you want, and you might forget to take that fearless and moral inventory of yourself often. Um, and so this is what happened to David. He became arrogant and power-hungry and full of domination. So he's out on his castle window one day, and he sees on a rooftop a woman that is bathing, and he immediately thinks that he needs to dominate her too. He inquires and finds out her name is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of his soldiers, and he sends for her, and they have sex. I can only imagine it is not consensual sex, and so I will say that he rapes her. Uh, he then sends her home because he has gotten what he wants. Um, and uh, now, if you're keeping back of, uh, track of this, how many 
Ten Commandments has he broken at this point, right? A lot. Uh, so about a month later, later, Bathsheba sends word that she's pregnant. And so David tries to fix his problem, still not involving God in it. He tries to fix his problem by bringing Uriah home from the war front so that he will sleep with his wife, and therefore um, they will think that the baby is his. But Uriah is such an honorable man that he uh, will not go home to, um, to experience such pleasure because his comrades are still stuck on the war front and he doesn't think it would be fair. So eventually David, not knowing what else to do, he tries to get him drunk and do it again, and, and Uriah's honor still holds out. So eventually David doesn't know what to do, and he um, ends up writing to the general and say, says, put this guy, Uriah, in the, in the uh, most horror-ridden uh, place where he is surely to die. Um, and so that is what happens, Uriah's killed. This allows David to then be able to claim Bathsheba as his own wife. Eventually, she gives birth to a child, and the child soon dies. It's at this point that the prophet Nathan, because sometimes we need truth-tellers in our life, it's at this point that the prophet Nathan comes to David and helps him to see all the mistakes, all the sins that he has committed. And once David realizes his trespasses, once he sees himself through the lens of others, can you just see it? He is overwhelmed by his actions. A pit in his stomach grows, a lump in his throat full of remorse comes to the surface, and he falls to his knees, and he confesses to God, have mercy on me, God. According to your faithful love, wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me of my sin because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. I have sinned, God, against you and you alone. Have you ever had that moment of realization where it gets real and you, you look back at your actions and you think, oh my God, what have I done? That's confession. You don't even have to think about it, do you? It just, it comes up from you. Oh, my God, what have I done? This is fitting words for that, right? I know in my own personal life, I've had that experience, and after, after that, oh, my God, what have I done? I turn to this psalm, and it gives words. So I want to look at this psalm and discover just a little bit more about what we can learn from these words. And I see three things that I want you to take away from today. The first is this. We confess knowing that we are embraced by a merciful, loving, and motherly, compassionate God. A merciful, a loving, and a motherly, compassionate God. It's easy to listen to this story and think, oh yeah, this is about sin. This is about the human propensity to mess things up, right? And it is. But even more so, this psalm is about God. This psalm is about um, God's character in the face of human sinfulness. And God's character is mercy, 
God's character is steadfast love, and God's character is compassion. We know this because it's actually all over Scripture. Like, open the Bible, and you'll find those characters of God. And if you don't have a Bible, we have them out on the welcome tables. You're welcome to take one. But we specifically see those words in our psalm today. So there's three Hebrew words that are used to describe psalm, the God in this opening piece of the psalm. The first is hanan. It means mercy. And it is appeal to God's gracious character. You are gracious and merciful, God, so please have that grace and mercy with me. The second word is hesed. And it's essentially a one-word summary of uh, God's gracious, self-giving character. We often read it today translated as steadfast love. Always there. Unconditional love. Steadfast love. And finally, the third word is rahim, which is translated as abundant mercy in our scripture today. But um, many might say a more accurate translation is motherly compassion. Think about my friend Sharon at the beginning when, when Hazel... Cut a hole. Oh, Hazel. There wasn't condemnation. Just, oh, Hazel. You've messed up. Motherly compassion. So, see, we confess our faults, our failures, our mistakes, our sins, whatever word you want to do, put in there, and we do it confidently, knowing that we will be, we always will be met with mercy, steadfast love, and motherly compassion. Now, this is contrary to our culture, right? In our culture, you do the crime, you pay the time, right? If, if you do something wrong, you are punished. So if we, wanna, if, if we're, if we think of that uh, cause and effect, like if you do something, you're punished. Because we think about that often, right? Like what's my punishment? Here's your punishment. If, if we have to use that sort of word choice. Your punishment is grace. God punishes us by offering even more mercy and steadfast love and motherly compassion. And it feels like a punishment because we, can't, we don't know what to do with it. Doesn't that make you, though, kind of want to confess all of your sins? <laughs> the punishment is grace and mercy. And so we confess knowing that we will be met upon, grace upon grace upon grace. So second, confession to God cleanses us of our sin and sets us free. If God's character is mercy and steadfast love and motherly compassion, um, then this psalm in the backdrop of David's horrific story reminds us that God forgives even the most grievous of sins. Think about it. David, did you just hear that story? David, all of his sins were forgiven. He was allowed to stay on as king. And I think I counted five, at least five of the Ten Commandments that he broke, right? So if David gets to stay on as king, if David gets to be forgiven, then what does that say about you? You get to be forgiven too. Sometimes we commit sin because we're oblivious. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? Sometimes we commit sin because uh, we, uh, we want to do better, like that uncle that's spewing the opposite political stuff that we think, and we think, oh, I'm not going to engage, and then we do, right? It's, sometimes, we, sometimes we commit sin because we, 
want to do something and we end up doing the opposite, right? And sometimes we commit sin out of willfulness, right? We willfully do it. Uh, benign example here, but the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Does anybody like it when somebody cuts in front of them at traffic? No. Does anybody do that, though? <laughs> right? So that's kind of willful, right? Willful, we, we do something that we know we shouldn't. It's benign. I, I could go much bigger, but I'll let you do that. These transgressions, these um, willful rebellions, sometimes we think that those aren't forgivable. But in our psalm, we see those particular Hebrew words of transgression and rebellion. God forgives even that. So that's good news, right? That's super good news. And finally, we confess because it restores relationship with God. See, we think that confession of sin, that the point of it is to be forgiven, but that's a byproduct of, of the, the point of confession is to be realigned and reunited with God. So the forgiveness is just how we get there. So we confess because we know that God can hold it and because um, we, I just forgot the last one. Oh, I'm going crazy here. Um, we confess because we know that God can hold it and because we know that it frees us. And by those two things, we know that our relationship with God is realigned. We're justified in our faith. David says it this way, I have sinned against you and you alone. This statement isn't negating all the harm that he caused to others, but what it is saying is that, because, you know, Uriah is still dead. Bathsheba has been violated. But what he is saying is that he knows that he did those things because he was not aligned with God. And so to confess them and to realign with God it allows us to be restored and recommitted to, to, um, to God and, and to begin the journey of transformation. Create a clean heart in me, O oh God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me, David says. This restoration of relationship with God is always transformative. Our sin and our guilt are not the final words of this psalm. The final word is joy. Joy at being reconnected with God. And so we confess to be realigned and then recreated into something new. So here's what it looks like. Our relationship to God is something like this. We realize we've made a mistake. We confess it to ourselves and to God. We are met with unconditional love and mercy and motherly compassion. Our relationship with God is restored out of that confession. And we turn a new way. The Christian word for that the, is repent, right? We turn a new way. And uh, through God's gift and our relaxing into that grace, we are created into something new. Until the next day or hour or week, I don't know how long it is you do between transgressions, but till we screw up again, right? And then we confess, and the cycle goes over and over. Do you see how this is just a continual cycle? We never, we never leave it. 
It's the mystery of faith, really. Uh, the mystery of faith, we say, is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, right? It's this cycle, and that's what it is with our, with our um, confession. It is, um, our confession is sort of a death to ourself, right? We, we um, see where we went wrong, and we die to that part of ourself, and God meets us with resurrection and forgiveness and realignment, right? And we're created new. You see that cycle? Um, it's uh, as here's here's how Second Corinthians uh, says it in chapter five, seventeen through nineteen. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of a new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these things are from God, who reconciled Himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not by counting people's sins against them. He was trusting us with this message of reconciliation. So you see how that cycle works? Isn't that good news? So this is our next step. We've confessed to ourselves. We've confessed to God. There's more confession talk, y'all. Next week, we're going to be talking about this message of reconciliation. What does it mean to confess to one another? What does it mean to know I have caused you harm and I want to make it right? To be reconciled, not just with God, but with each other. But for today, go forth with this good news. Know that our sins that we confess to God are met with love and compassion and mercy. And that when we confess, we are freed, we are loved, and we are restored into relationship with God. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen.